Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm... Uh, do you ever get accused of something that you know you're not and didn't do, but the thing is so awful that you still feel like it still feels weird to be accused of it? Yeah, you'll hear about it on the news uh, in, in a couple days, I've been told. <laughs> um. So I don't know if you've seen the the uh, it got to be I don't know you don't really you know on Twitter that much but it was uh, big enough to it was trending on Twitter. There's a movie that's coming out on Netflix, a French movie. The American title is Cuties. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. I know that it's uh, very controversial. Uh, yeah, and I uh, saw and reviewed the movie uh, at Sundance in January, yeah. um, and so. I mean, the movie is, I'm not alone. The movie is very favorably reviewed, mm-hmm. but because it hasn't like officially opened, there aren't that many reviews. So I have a, like a positive review of the movie up on Rotten Tomatoes and it has gotten me not, not like a huge wave, but for those who don't know the controversy, uh, the movie is about, uh, uh, uh an 11 year old girl who sort of falls in love and falls in love, falls in with a group of, uh, other girls her age who were very sort of like, precocious i guess and like uh, formed a dance crew and sort of like acting as if they're more uh adult than they actually are because that's what they see and that's what they're trying to be um again the movie is is very good it's sometimes uh very darkly comic is often intentionally very upsetting mm. um in its depiction of uh uh, 11 year old girls coming into uh, contact with sort of sexual behavior and, and, and sexualized behavior rather right. um, uh, that they don't fully understand. Um, but anyway, uh, Netflix uh, unfortunately decided to pick up the movie and unfortunately decided to advertise the movie with uh, um, a key art or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's not a poster cause it's all digital, but a digital mm-hmm. post or whatever. Um, that's a shot from the girls like dance performance in which they're like, uh, you know, wearing not they're scantily clad and whatever. And, uh, as opposed to like, a lot of people were very quick to say, point out like, Hey, here's the French poster for this movie, which is just like a bunch of 11 year old girls, like running down the street. Like, it's right. not, um, so Netflix, I, I think probably rightly took some heat for how they were advertising yeah. the, the movie, but it's led to a lot of people saying, this movie shouldn't exist. This movie that sexualizes 11 year old girls right. shouldn't be on, on Netflix at all. And so I did, uh, I get, we got, uh, we got in like a negative, my review got a couple negative comments that are about the movie, but then someone on Twitter who, uh, I think called me a pedo. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure because this person, not to, this, this is not uh, anything against them. English is clearly not their first language. So I wasn't sure. entirely sure. Um, if that's what they were saying, but it seemed like that was, that was that's what they were saying. Um, that was a dummy account for me, by the way, I've, <laughs> this is my chance to take you down and, uh, you know, put in a puppet regime, but it kind of, it, it opens up an inter- very interesting question, which definitely could be an episode uh, on its own, which is the idea of if a movie appeals to pedophiles, is that the movie's fault if it's not trying to do that? You know, like uh, the, the director, I forget her name. It's a very long name. Um, um, 
clearly has some very strong ideas about uh, about this sort of behavior in her characters and other the the sort of girls in society that they represent. Um, that, that she did not make the movie yeah. to titillate anyone. That's that's clear if you watch the movie, but it's also if you're uh, if you're a pedophile, then you're probably like that intent is probably not going to matter to you, and you are going to enjoy the movie in a way that it didn't wasn't intended to be in, uh, enjoyed and should should creators have that sort of thing in mind when they're making movies i my i think they probably do have it in mind i feel like you can't help but have it in mind like if you are from if you are aware of like oh well this is the character's behavior and if you have a stance on it that suggests it's a little bit negative. There will always be somebody that says yes, but in portraying it, you're clearly endorsing it in a way you know, tacitly. And so, you know, I remember, I mean, neither of us particularly care for the movie fight club. Um, but, and for me, for a long time, when I was younger, one of the things that bothered me about it was its fan base was, was people who, who think Tyler Durden is a role model. Exactly. Yeah. And in the end, now I do think that the film could could have done a better job establishing Tyler Durden as a full on like villain or somebody that should, you know. So that's that's my opinion. But at the same time, like I can't you you can't somebody misinterpreting a film uh, or at least only viewing it uh, superficially, uh, whatever it is, you can't really pin that on the film. Uh, I mean, unless of course you think the film didn't do a good enough job but if you feel like the film did a perfectly fine job then you can't i feel like you can't hold it responsible for people who were already prone to find you know finding the worst uh in something uh or or letting it letting the film like nourish the worst in them uh you know i don't think you can you can blame a filmmaker for that if this were a film that that attempted to be something and did it poorly. And in doing so actually did glorify something. I think that's different, but I haven't seen the film, but it, you know, according, according to you, uh, according to the likes of you, uh, it's, it actually and does like, a very, a very good job. Of, me of, and like, according to Rotten Tomatoes, at least 82% or something of the yeah. critics, uh, you know, uh, like the movie. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it, I, I'm not, it certainly could be uh, a full episode. Um, I, I, I don't, I I'm not saying a full episode just about this specific thing, but, but the, right. just the idea of to what extent does a, an artist have to keep in mind the way that their art might be misconstrued? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it never hurts to keep that in mind, but I don't think that should, I don't think you should dictate. I don't think you should let that dictate mm -hmm. uh, the film that you're making or the art that you're making, it because in the end you have to do what is right for you, for you, the artist, what feels right for you. My, my wife and I had this conversation about a movie we saw years ago in which there was a racist character who was clearly like the butt of the joke. But in the theater we saw it with, there were like some teenage boys who were clearly laughing at the racist shit this guy was saying. Sure. And my wife was like, you know, uh, my wife and I were on different sides of like, uh, to what extent the, the filmmaker should, should have that sort of thing in mind. But it reminds me of yeah. like, even going further back, why Dave Chappelle quit his show, mm -hmm. uh, is that he was making a show that he felt 
in many ways satirized racism, racist stereotypes. But uh, as the story goes, he felt like uh, a lot of the members of the show's crew maybe were enjoying it uh, for in ways he didn't intend and extrapolated yeah. that to mean a lot of the audiences may be enjoying it. Um, well, that's, it's certainly the risk you run with satire, you know, like the more, the more straight faced you are about it. And sometimes the more ridiculous you are about it, you can never totally be sure what people are laughing at. You know, I mean, if you were to go back and watch something like blazing saddles now it's to me, seems pretty clear. And I think to Mel Brooks, it seems pretty clear uh, that, that the, the stupid, ignorant townspeople uh, are, are the ones that uh, we're making fun of, but yeah. you know, the N word is used so flagrantly that uh, you never know if somebody might use it as an opportunity to uh, it's like, I'm going to quote this movie. Uh, and now I get to say, uh, say oh, this sure. inappropriate thing. I remember J Jim Norton, who's a comedian that I uh, don't find particularly funny, but every once in a while he has uh, a bit that I find funny where he says, he goes, you know, he goes, I don't care if you're quoting some, Richard Pryor bit. If you're a white guy, you're just trying to say the, you're just trying to say the N word in a way that makes people be like, Oh, all right. You know, he goes, yeah, he goes, if you want to do it, be brave, do what the rest of us do and shout it out a car window, <laughs> which I thought, you know, I think that's pretty funny, but um, I think uh, maybe I'm misremembering because it was years ago. I feel like there was an inside Amy Schumer sketch about like white girls picking like rap songs at karaoke to get away with saying. the <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, and that's, I do genuinely, I don't want to necessarily hold you and I up as like the paragon of this, but I definitely know like there was a moment when I, when I was reviewing, um, Free State of Jones, which is not a good movie, um, but there's a moment where the main character says, we're all N-words now. And I thought like, boy, the audacity of that. Yeah. Uh, and so I, and it's like, I want to mention that line and that sentiment in my review, but I was kind of iffy about it because it's just like, now am I, is, am I only incorporating that so that I can do that. And I, I did a lot of soul searching. I think I might've even asked you if that was a, if you were okay with that or if, or what your opinion was. So I do think that obviously any filmmaker should and likely is thinking about this stuff. Um, and I have no doubt that the director of cuties is genuinely trying to portray this so that she can, not even satirize it or even condemn it, but at least explore it. And, you know, so much. And, and that's the problem is because Netflix probably did not put a lot of thought into the way it was marketing something because that it's not an artistic decision. Right. Uh, then suddenly the film gets the blowback. Um, and that's, that is unfortunate, but that's the, that's when it comes right it down to it. Like there are some people that are going to condemn something sight unseen simply because of what they might have heard about it or their first instinct when they hear about it. There's also a little, maybe this is, this is me casting aspersions a little bit. I'm reminded of there's a Mr. Show sketch where Bob Odenkirk plays a, a congressman or Senator. I can't, it was a character he played more than once. I can't remember the, the character's name. He had a Southern accent. It was a funny name. I can't remember it, but um, he was like at a craft fair and he was saying that these little like uh, wooden dolls uh, are, 
uh, obscene because they didn't have clothes on right and then mm. like at the end of the sketch you realize it's like oh he's the one who's attracted to naked wooden like yes. block dolls yeah. and so sometimes i feel like when people call out like this sort of thing when it clearly isn't the intention it makes me wonder it's like are you saying like i didn't even think about that are you saying you're turned on by by this uh yeah uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's me just me being defensive. Because, like I said, it feels weird to be called a pedo or pedo, however you say yeah. it. Um, no matter how uh, confident I am that I'm not, it, it's it, it's uh, it shakes you a little bit. I mean, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it would. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm not. Otherwise, I mean, people would accuse me of it. So, right. You know, maybe where there's smoke, there's fire. Just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I'd say that's something that just, because even if that person, even if that person is not like responding to, even if they're not projecting, even if they're not responding to something inside themselves, they're doing something that is, that is still frustrating, which is they're, it goes back to, I remember we were talking about this with uh, Wolf of Wall Street and I think Mick LaSalle said it. That's like, okay, well, if you, if you, if, if you, not you, David, but you, whoever we're talking to, if you watched cuties and you came away thinking like, Oh no, this is actually a pretty measured depiction of this, but you're still angry because not everyone's going to, going to think that it's like, okay, well now you're thinking on other people's behalf and yeah. you know, there's, there's enough of that already. We don't need it's, you to do that. You're not the only smart one as, yeah. uh, as Mick LaSalle said. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, I'm sure our sponsor loves this. I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com earbuds. <laughs> tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. And you know what? I have to. Uh, uh, I don't know if you noticed, uh, Tyler, after two years of dormancy, I brought back my seasonal playlist on the you website. You did notice that, yes. Um, because going back to whenever we first started doing this, um, uh, back in like 2016 it was because like even though you and i have different opinions on barack obama as a president mm-hmm. we both thought it was stupid that he put out playlists <laughs> yes. and he continues to do this and every the end of every year it's here's barack obama's favorite movies and tv shows and it's like i look at him and i'm like yeah i guess you know i like a lot of those movies but it's uh who, who cares i don't i don't care what he likes and so uh, the joke four years ago when we first did this was like, you know what? You and I have every bit as much uh, <laughs> um, uh, reason to put out our play, our summer playlist as, yeah. as uh, Barack Obama does. And so, you know, uh, again, loved his, uh, his, his speech or the transcript of it that I read, you know, a uh, big fan of, of that. But in this way, I saw that our 44th president, was back on his bullshit. So I decided to get back on mine and do another playlist. It's such a, it's the kind of thing. And I, it happens. You know what? This is, this is on, this is on both sides where someone, and it's, Hey, it's fine. You know, people watch movies, people listen to music. They like what they like. That's fine. But it just, it's, it just seems like such a calculation as a way of saying like, ah, you see, I am just like you. I listen to music. There are things that I favor over others. You see how, you see how relatable I am. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, Ted Cruz quoting princess bride or Barack Obama releasing his, you know, his summer playlist. I don't, it just seems so calculated. Yeah. Well, uh, 
but I yeah I put together a, a playlist of of summer hits, um, uh, everything from brand new songs by uh, Armani Caesar to uh, uh, classic favorites by Metallica on my list, and uh, you can listen to it uh, uh, at com or on Spotify, and you can do so with tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They sound great. Um, they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go please go to com and use the offer code pretension. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, Tyler. Yes. This is a, a topic I've been wanting to do um, for a while. Uh, there's a number of things that uh, um, have have led to this that we'll get into today. But I'll say, weirdly, the thing that put me over the top is when we were, uh, uh, earlier this year, we profiled the career of Max von Sydow. Mm-hmm. And when I was putting together my list of movies that I wanted to watch that, you know, that, that he's in, um, normally when I've done this, when I've done like put together research, uh, a list of, of, of research for, for a profile episode, I have intentionally left off made for TV movies. Yeah. And I realized that my opinion had changed when I decided, yes, I'll watch citizen X. It's a made for HBO movie with, with Max von Sydow. You know what? I'm going to, included on my list and i and so it occurred to me that without my having to make the decision my feeling about made for tv movies had changed so mm-hmm. um uh i don't want anyone to uh, be tuning in thinking this is going to be an episode in which we talk about our favorite made for tv movies of all time right i did not prepare do. a list for that yeah maybe we could we could do that with a guest at some point um because i haven't seen many made for tv movies Right. more than uh 10 years old uh, or whatever because i had this bias for so long um uh but i wanted to talk about uh to what extent are tv movies movies increasingly i feel like they just are um but it also and i've realized what's made me made this what's made me make this change in my opinion is that so many movies that everyone is unquestionably considering movie movies are being released and watched in the way that TV movies yeah. are, you know, for home viewing and watched at home, watched in, in chunks uh, here and there. Uh, so I feel like the the streaming and the streamification of movies has, for me, largely obliterated the line between uh, movie movies and TV movies. Well, I want to go back to, I mean, you mentioned, you use the word bias and mentioned that, you know, you're not super familiar with like made for TV movies older than a certain, a certain time bias against them. I want to, I want to dissect that because we are not here talking about, uh, you know, straight to video or anything like that, but there was a time in our, in our lives when straight to video meant something. It meant that it was less than. Mm -hmm. And then I would say made for TV movie or TV in general 
was certainly above uh, straight to video, but then obviously theatrical release, even if it was a limited one or a short run, um, that was the pinnacle. And I would say that for the most part, that, that wasn't our perception. That's how it was like made for TV movies, even, even made for HBO. Uh, I mean, in the nineties you had films with, I'm trying to remember like when I would watch the Emmys and they would have awards for, uh, you know, TV movies and HBO was unquestionably like the king of them. Like it put the most money into them, but, uh, and it would get, you know, noted actors like, Oh, here's, James Woods in this. And then like in, in citizen X, you've got Stephen Ree, who was a, uh, who was a, I wouldn't say a star, but he was a noted actor, Donald Sutherland. Um, but nonetheless, like you watch these movies and they just don't, they, they seem like they were made for the small screen. They're not particularly cinematic, uh, to put it in those terms, like visually they're pretty flat. I would say for the most part, certainly I think, cause I, I also rewatched citizen citizen X recently and there's a lot that I like about it, but the visuals uh, is not one of the things that I like about it. It's, it's, it's functional at best. And so I do think that like, it's important for any listeners we have that are, that are younger, you know, maybe younger than 25 or something like that to to realize that there was a time when there was like a very clear separation between theater and TV and video and a made for TV movie had a very specific um, vibe, which was it can be a fun event, but it will come. It's nowhere close uh, on as far as scale or frankly quality. It's, it's not even coming close to approaching a theatrical film. And so th- I think there was a, there certainly was a time when it was uh, synonymous with, with lower quality, even if it was good, it was synonymous with lower quality. And so I think it's important to recognize that and recognize that as time has gone on uh, straight to video doesn't mean what, you, what it used to. There was, there was a little window when something like was straight to streaming and it had a similar vibe. Like, well, if it, if it could have held its own, if the studio had faith in it, they would have released it in theaters, but that's not the case anymore. Um, and so with the pandemic, that's really exciting. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, whatever, 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 uh, compartmentalization, whatever it is, whatever separated all of these things, not that there was much, but whatever was there is gone now. Like, with stuff coming straight to streaming that was absolutely meant for, for a theatrical run. So my, my counter, I guess, to you, to what you're saying there is that, um, and I think when you say quality, a lot of what you're talking about is like production value. Sure. Yeah. And and stuff like that. What I would say to that is that not all movies have high production value or, or quality. And those sort of qualities don't, uh, are not solely the, the province of of movies. So, like mm-hmm. you could. So, if I'm taking the if I'm taking the position, which I guess I kind of am, but not entirely, that all TV movies are movies, mm-hmm. then all I'm saying is that this era of TV movies had a different trend, and that trend was lower production value. Um, yeah. and, uh, uh, and then the things you're, you're talking about, but that doesn't, 
that doesn't disqualify them for being movies. It distinguishes them from other movies, from, from theatrical release movies of their era, but I don't think it disqualifies them from being movies. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that in sort of an intangible way, obviously, like when the film is being made, when it's being greenlit, when they're figuring out the budget, uh, there is an... Uh, I would say unconscious, but I'm sure it probably is conscious that the, the way in which someone will be watching it, which is on their square TVs at home um, on a random Sunday night, uh, like that probably did enter into the mentality with which they were made. I, I do think. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not saying that they're, I won't say that they're not movies, but they definitely are a different there is a there is a distinction and i don't and i feel like i'm 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 shitting on them i'm not trying i'm not trying to do that but uh i'm trying to capture the way the the industry itself probably approached them not that the industry even dictates what is and isn't a movie either but uh but i'm trying to to figure out how they would view it um well, this brings me to what well, I want to go back at least to another thing you said um, to the 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 direct video or direct to market or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, uh, yes. We both work yeah. in video stores. We get yeah. it. Yeah, we know. We, we read uh, video store. What was it called? What was the uh, I, I don't remember now. Yeah. But yeah, the, it was the, the trade was, magazine. Yeah. Um, which referred to Blockbuster as Big Blue. Yeah. Like they had their own little terminology trying to be, you know, variety or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um all right so uh the direct market type of type of thing um in what way see, i guess i see the made for hbo or made for for premium cable movie as being almost closer to that than to the made than it is to the made for network or broadcast type of, or even, even basic cable type of things, because those things had more content restrictions and mm -hmm. also had to work in act breaks yeah. uh, for, for, for commercials. Um, uh, so if you, do you, do you see, it almost seems unfair and it probably seemed unfair at the Emmys back in the nineties or whatever that a made for ABC movie uh, would be competing with a made for HBO movie for best made for TV movie, because they seem like uh, they're just drawing from completely different uh, pots and different, completely different bag of tools. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, if I were, if I were an actor or a director or whatever, who had made something for NBC and then I was nominated alongside someone from an HBO film, my first thing, my first thought would be like, Oh, come on. Yeah. Like it's, and and what's more is I know that I think the Emmys at the time, and maybe they still do. I don't remember. Um, they they would they would go with. Uh, as I think in the acting categories, they would go with like uh, TV movie or miniseries. Like they would actually put yeah. those together. Certainly, I th certainly, and I think certain supporting acting categories. Um, and and on one hand that that feels like, well, those are completely different animals. But if you're thinking about the TV movie as something with act breaks, it's just a mini series. It's a mini, mini series. Yeah. Um, then it makes sense. But yeah, uh, I do think that, you know, I, I'm told that, that 
network television with commercials still exists. Um, I, I've I've seen no proof of that of it in my own life. Um, <laughs> That's but not it true because you watch Hulu. Um, I have I have uh, Hulu Plus or whatever it is. Like there are no uh, commercials. Oh, okay. The, whatever yeah. whatever version I have, there are no commercials. Um, I forget that that exists. Yeah, because I'm watching. Uh, uh, you'll be happy to know that I'm watching what we do in the shadows. Oh, fun. Um, and uh, uh, I love Nadia so much. I love all the characters, but Nadia yeah. is uh, so funny. Yeah. Um, uh, we're getting away off topic, which is like, uh, the way that yeah, we're, we're, is we're burning like, the, uh, the TV journal stuff here. Come on. Uh, but we already talked about it. So, uh, I, I just love how Nadia is like often so above the two, like men or three men, uh, four men, I guess that yeah. she lives with. Uh, and then every once in a while we'll just like completely stoop to their level in such a giddy way that it's <laughs> yeah. all the more endearing. Anyway, we're way off topic. I like that she and Laszlo genuinely seem to be in love like yeah. they really do like each other which is yeah. and yet they still have moments where it's like Ugh, i don't have the energy for that <laughs> anyway um yeah i mean obviously the nature of of this conversation is going to be a little bit intangible um because it's just a thing that like it's a thing that sort of faded in as as the way we watch movies and tv changed and yet Something like bad education, uh, bad education, not the the uh, Almodovar film, the recent, but the uh, one with uh, Hugh Jackman Corey, and Corey Jenny. Finley. Is that who it was? Oh, you know what? I'm immediately more interested. Um, but uh, you know that was made for HBO, um, and I believe it's up for for Emmys. Um, now, and it's that- like. Is that true? Was it made? Because I'm like, um, or maybe just, maybe it was, I, to my knowledge, I don't think it had any kind of theatrical run. Now I have to look it up. Hang on. No, but I mean, I, cause it was at TIFF last year. So sure, sure. my question, because I remember a couple of years ago at Sundance, I saw a movie called the tale with Laura Dern. Right. That was, uh, it was a movie. That's what it was. It was a regular movie movie. I saw it in a the theater. That's how it was meant to be, uh, seen. But, um, then it got acquired by, uh, by HBO and premiered as a made for TV movie. So that's yeah, my, that's, my that's, question. So I don't know if was bad education an independently financed film that was just made as a movie and got acquired by HBO or it was it always intended? It appears that's what it, what it was. Um, cause it did play at TIFF. Let's see. It made its world premiere on, uh, September 8th at TIFF and was broadcast on HBO. I, it doesn't say it was acquired by HBO. Um, but let's see. Yeah, I mean, because it could have been a thing that HBO... Sure. Like, it intentionally... Uh... Oh, no, okay, so here we go. Okay, so okay. looking at Wikipedia. Um, after TIFF, HBO acquired distribution rights okay. to the film. So, you know, what's interesting is, so here we have an example of a film that was made like any other film. Right. And probably could have been, you know, if some other company had had purchased it, it could have gotten a theatrical release, putting aside, you know, uh, COVID stuff. Um, although I think it came out before that. Um, but like it could have had a theatrical release and, and who knows, could have been like nominated for Oscars and all that kind of thing. But HBO claimed it and released it. And now it's just seen as this other thing. And it it's wrong of me to view it uh 
in a diminished way. Like in my mind, it's like, oh, well, if, H- if HBO bought it so that they could use it, so they could uh, uh, broadcast it, um, then maybe it's not the type of, you know, maybe they understand that like this maybe would fit more with what we're doing than a theatrical run. And but I think it's the opposite. I think it's that HBO is trying to be more like a Netflix server. That's what HBO right. max is. That's why HBO max is not on Roku because they right. want, they want Netflix's terms and, uh, and Roku saying, no, you're not Netflix. You're yeah. Uh, it's not TV. It's not Netflix. It's HBO. <laughs> yeah. And it's, so it, it's interesting. I feel like I, you mentioned uh, bias and I think that I, I myself, because of my age, uh, I think I myself probably have a, a bias as well, if not a straight up prejudice against a movie that even something like Roma, because of who made it and because it was it's like, yes, Netflix is put is is putting it out and it is getting theatrical runs so that it qualify for the Oscars. Like they're trying they're actively trying to avoid being seen as a straight to streaming service. They're like, you know, we can with Mudbound and, and the Irishman, like we can run with the big boys. Whereas HBO trying to be like Netflix, but only to a certain extent because it's like, well, this movie, Bad Education that we've acquired, it will only be available in this capacity, thus removing it from the, not, not just from an, uh, an award standpoint, but it's, it will not, it will now not be talked about um, I don't in know that, the same way as, as other films. I don't know that, that increasingly, I don't know that that part is, is true. I think that's what might not be thinking about it. And that's why I've said that the Oscars and these awards bodies need to change with the times because they're like they're trying they're trying to force or steer the conversation they're trying to say like they're trying to be prescriptive and saying no we decide what a movie is what i'm saying is oscars no you don't decide what a movie is sure the public decides and the press decides what a movie is and if you stick to your antiquated rules it's only going to harm your standing uh, that's how I feel long term. Yeah. Is that that if not the you know yeah, I guess bad education is a bad uh, example, but uh, uh, Bird Box. There's I mean sure. not a movie I didn't like, but like a hu- movie that was huge on mm-hmm. on Netflix, and people think of it as a movie, but I I don't think not that I think it was going for Oscars, but I don't think it would have qualified for the Oscars because I was at a festival. I don't think it right. played theaters. Um, I don't think I saw, it did. I saw it in the theater because. Uh, I'm a very important uh, member of the press, but sure. uh, <laughs> um, uh, now, uh, yeah. So that uh, that uh, that line is being obliterated. Uh, I, I think by uh, you're getting higher budgets on on TV. Oh, yeah. In fact, what you remind what you reminded me of, um, and I'm forgetting the name of the movie that Steven Soderbergh made about Liberace with Michael Douglas. Um, uh, behind the Candelabra. <laughs> right. Hold on. Do you, I know you're an amazing race fan like I am. Do you remember the contestant who had clearly never heard of a candelabra before? Uh, the, no, I don't remember. So we remember had that. to go into there were a bunch of like actors like acting this like sort of uh renaissance. It was in some European city and they had to go into this like mansion and find a clue that was like under a candelabra or whatever. And that's what the clue said, but he clearly didn't know what a candelabra was. If a, he kept pronouncing it candelabra. 
and b he kept going up to the actors and saying are you a candelabra okay yes that sounds familiar uh, i don't remember it was kind of a working class guy right uh he was young is what it was it was okay. i think it was like a father-son thing like okay. a father-son team sure and he was probably like maybe 19 um uh, i think it's what it was but i at 19 i knew what a candelabra was but anyway it's it's ruined the word candelabra for me well that's understandable yeah um and i guess if you're looking if you're pronouncing it candelabra you're not going to realize that candle albeit spelled a little bit differently i or maybe not uh is the is the root word there and so you like candelabra is just a nonsense word candelabra it's like okay i think i can i can parse this out i think um Um, anyway so you were um, saying the point was uh you know that was not the reason that was an hbo movie is because steven soderbergh said like none of the none of the studios would give him the budget to pay this cast and to to get make the budget um uh, because we talked about, uh, I've talked about it endlessly on this podcast and others, uh, the sort of disappearance of that like mid-budget sort of uh, movie. You get a few of them at the end of the year, uh, every year. But the idea of having big stars in a movie that isn't a tentpole movie, that's just like a movie aimed at adults, you know, yeah. um, uh, is kind of disappearing uh, from the studio slates. And so HBO is the only one uh, who would... Uh, uh, pay for the production value he wanted and for the cast he wanted um without trying to make it a uh you know a franchise starter or something (laughs) (laughs) that would have been fun um (laughs) Uh, you know uh, so that's what i'm saying is that like i i think this is why and i feel like i'm uh if you pardon me maybe a bit ahead of you on this i because i have shed some of these biases that you have and i think these sort of things are what have 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 excuse me, would have, would have led to, to that. You know, I, I come to realize as we talk about this, just how much, I mean, the fact that I brought them up so much, so often, um, just how much I use like awards and the way the industry itself categorizes things. Um, I think I use that as a marker because when talking about this, it, it only gets more, uh, unclear and, and intangible. And so I think I use stuff like that as like, okay, well, the industry views it this way. And so I guess I will as well. And so I think increasingly the idea of uh, the Emmys, you know, honoring like a performance in a, in a made for TV movie or something like that, it almost feels like that, that category should almost go away. Um, Either that or someone could conceivably, or the Oscars uh, start incorporating those uh, films like bad education and, or I guess conceivably you could, you know, you could have the, the E and the O and EGOT from the same performance. Uh, right. Like yeah. Hugh Jackman could win best actor in, in both. Uh, and that wouldn't really, be unprecedented because you, know. you can win a Grammy and a Tony for the same performance. You know yes, I mean? that's true. Um, so, and yeah, I guess that's the thing is you, as, as time goes on, there is a, a blending of these two things and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Uh, but I think I myself just as a way of organizing my own thinking, I think I like to separate them out, even though, uh, even though the, the quality certainly from a budget standpoint really is, is there's no difference now. Um, 
And I think also it has to do with just being part of the conversation. You know, uh, at the end of the year, um, if a film did not go into theaters and it was only on HBO or Netflix or whatever it was, um, it rarely is part of the conversation. Even if it's a well-respected film, it's, it rarely, like, it won't make critics list because they have a hard time. They feel like, well, it's comparing apples and oranges, even if it's something like bad education, which, or behind the candelabra, um, which was made probably for theatrical distribution or with that in mind, at least. Um, yeah. And that's so, yeah. just, we're just talking about fictional films. HBO picks up documentaries sure. at festivals all the time. Um, uh, a lot of the documentaries that, that are on, H, uh, on HBO um, yeah. were not necessarily made with a TV audience uh, in mind. But um, now I want to get to the second uh, or to an, another uh, a deeper chapter of this conversation. Yeah. Having put that one to bed so clearly as we have. Um, but so the, I, I think it, this starts with things like Olivier Isaias's Carlos or uh, Jane Campion's um, Top of the Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, things that when they premiered to a wide audience premiered as television miniseries yeah but we're but showing like, uh, oj made in america yeah, i was writing exactly. i was writing about example. that recently yeah uh great example um uh but all three all three of those things played festivals as just very yeah. long movies i think top of the top of the lake's like uh five hours carlos is i think also about five hours yeah. uh oj oj's even longer it's like six hours right uh like i think over seven wow um uh so are those movies and then the next question is then is any miniseries especially one where all episodes are directed by the same person you know like a true detective season one or more recently little fires everywhere uh, mm-hmm. directed by the late lynn shelton um uh, like i on the one hand i understand the initial argument of why that's not a movie is because it was it's made to be it's right it's divided into episodes that's why i used the word chapter earlier um but uh it's divided into episodes it's not a standalone thing like a movie but then well like where does that put things like dr mabuza the gambler or the denis belong like old like serialized um yeah. or or two-part uh or sometimes more you know if you go back to like older silent films like uh the sherlock holmes movie from 1916 that mm-hmm. now is seen as like a two-hour movie but was really like 12 10 minute uh, yeah. shorts um uh, uh like it's at, at what point do we decide the difference between a movie and a miniseries is a miniseries just a long movie especially when all episodes are by the same director yeah i mean it's it's tough to say i do think that uh that if you were to not merely binge a miniseries uh, but if someone were to recut it, sort of like Mysteries of Lisbon, um, mm-hmm. uh, into something a little bit more, not even necessarily more digestible, like a, a, an okay length, like two hours, because obviously the movie of Mysteries of Lisbon is not that. Um, but I think if you if you actively change a, a miniseries to like be not merely shorter, but just feel different. I feel like it could be a movie, but as it is, I do think that like, that like something that 
as they were creating it, even if it's one person creating it, they knew that like, this will be the end of this chapter and there will be time in between. There could conceivably be time between watching uh, this chapter and the next. It could be months. It could be a week as opposed to, you know, an intermission where it's 10 minutes and then the next thing is going to start whether you want it to or not. Um, I do think that that, like anything that changes the the artistic considerations or the narrative considerations, I think differentiates it enough. And so if you if you recut it or reorganize it so that those are no longer in play, I think you can make the argument that it become it can become a movie. But I do think that there's the 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 fact that it is segmented and that the the creator knows that as they're making it. Cause that will absolutely play into things, you know, like if it's something like say the first season of true detective or any season of true detective, you know, did they all do that? with just the one director thing. That's what I was trying to remember. I think they did, but I might be okay. wrong. I know this for the first season did. Yeah. Um, it's the only one I watched, but like, you know, that is one long story, but each, each chapter ends in a very specific way. And who's to say that if, if the, who's a, is that Carrie Fukunaga? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if Fukunaga had, had chosen to say like, I'm making a 10 hour movie and you're meant to watch it as, as a 10 hour movie, I guarantee you it would feel different. It wouldn't have the, the rises and falls. It wouldn't have the, not necessarily even a, uh, a cliffhanger in the traditional sense, but it wouldn't have like the, the tease, you know, if he, if it was going to be even the same amount of minutes, uh, but it was meant to all be viewed in one sitting or as one piece, it w- that would have an impact on how it was made. But as it is, because he knew that there would be a weak gap in between, he had to make it differently. So I do think that there is a, a difference because it impacts the way something is made. I, I think I agree with you, but um, I also don't have a problem with being devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that like just like you can't use uh, uh, awards uh, necessarily to define what is and isn't a movie. You can't use Letterboxd, but Letterboxd does often include miniseries as yeah. uh, one one entry. Um, but, um, oh, I had another point to make about, I, I guess uh, to illustrate how my thinking has changed though. Um, what year was that first True Detective, 2014, something like that? Uh, around there, 13, 14, I think. Um, if I had seen, and I'm, it probably did happen, but if I had seen at the end of 2014 critics putting True Detective on their best movies of the year list, yeah. I would have rolled my eyes or, 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 or whatever. Um, but if at the end of 2020, I see someone putting Little Fires Everywhere on their best movies of the year list i mean uh uh, quality aside you know i thought it was it was fine um but uh i would be less annoyed by that now i don't i still don't think i'm at a place where i would do it right um but i would be less annoyed by that now than uh than i would have been in 2014 or whatever well and then critics uh when twin peaks uh came out there were critics that were putting that on their list of like movies and that that felt very wrong to me that's wrong to me because and that's where i still i see there there still is a line in the sand for me which is not only is that not is that episodic but that's a whole season of a show that already existed you know sure if someone puts 
I'm trying to think of like something else from this year. If someone puts better things season four on their best movies of the year list. Yeah. That I will scoff at because as much as I think better things season four was great. I've talked about it a lot on, on, yeah. on this podcast and on the on the TV journal and on the Patreon at patreon.com slash battleship attention. Um, uh, that's, that's not, that's not valid because when, once something starts to have multiple seasons, to me, that's that's a TV series. Obviously, there's no there, there's no gray area anymore. And also, I wonder. So let's let's imagine that True Detective thing, um, where it was not a guarantee that uh, there was going to be a second season. It was made as one standalone thing, albeit a season of television. Um, and maybe I'm playing maybe I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit. It seems to me that when if a film critic is is trying to um, trying to incorporate something that is is not a movie officially as far as the way it's distributed and viewed and the way it was filmed by like incorporating onto their list it's, it almost it almost seems as if they're saying like, this is too good to be considered TV. This is too good to be considered a miniseries. Like this is a movie. Like it almost feels like they're, they're trying to legitimize it. It's like, well, it's already legitimate. It's just a different art form. Um, I'll be at a narrative one and I'll be at a visual one, but it is a different art form. Like there's nothing inherently better about movies, but in trying to, in, as you're making this argument, like you can just say it's a, it's a wonderful example of what it is. You're not, you know, you're not denigrating it by saying it's, it's a mini series. It's not a movie. Yeah. That, uh, and you know, cause I also, I'm not a TV critic the way that I'm a film critic, but I used to have multiple podcasts about TV. Mm-hmm. I take T I've long taken TV seriously as an art form. And that is something that used to bother me. You know, like there's a, uh, as much as I love a lot of the stuff the guys created and a lot of the stuff he says on Twitter, um, I will always look a little bit askance at David Simon because of the way that he so often talked about the wire as yeah. like he, this guy who has made some of the most celebrated TV of the 21st century never seemed to quite get over this yeah. anti TV bias. And you would talk about the wire as like a film that he made. Um, uh, and that, that always, that always did bother me. So, um, I have, I absolutely see that argument of saying, um, something that, that, that putting something that's clearly TV on your film list is in a way disrespecting TV, uh, as an art form. But I often, but I also feel like I don't feel that as strongly as I did maybe five or six years ago, because mm-hmm. I don't feel like, I feel like the anti TV bias, uh, uh, well, could be, you're still carrying the torch for it, but uh, I feel like it's, uh, it's diminished so much in, in culture that I don't feel like I need to, it's not a hill I need to die on anymore. You know, and, and it's interesting. I mean, I know that you're joking when you talk about like anti TV bias for me, it's, it's, if a, if a film does like air on TV first or primarily, um, like there is probably just an instinctive thing that I need to get over. But as far as the idea of TV being less than film somehow, I certainly don't view it that way any more than when someone says, Oh, well, the book was better. It's a different thing. You know, uh, like I've read LA Confidential. I've seen the movie. I've seen, I've read a lot of books and seen the movie. Uh, and I like, uh, I, I like both. They're both really amazing, but they're so very, very different. And that's okay. You just because they're the same. And that's, that's when it's the same story being done in, in different mediums. But just to say that, like, 
media is media, the plural, is the plural is, of medium. Is it? I think so. In some cases, I know that like when you're talking about like when you're talking about like media, I don't know. It's in the same way, like people versus persons. You know, oh, you don't you don't always say. Well, people. I guess if you're talking about a medium like Patricia Arquette played on TV, oh, no, that's what I'm talk, talking about. Where you talk to dead people, I guess more than one of them together, they would be mediums. I think that I, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, or if it's like you know, you got a new shipment of shirts in. Uh, <laughs> no, no smalls, no larges. It's just a bunch of mediums. Uh, and ironically this, this group over here predicted that would happen. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. And so I do think that, um, no, I very much respect, I very much respect TV. It's a very, and I, and honestly, I think I have you and Paul Goebel to thank for that because you take, you take it seriously. And for a long time, uh, I myself, like, like so many others saw film as like the ultimate thing. It's like, no TV is trying to do a different thing. And so when I say that, Hey, let a miniseries be a miniseries. I'm saying like, it's, a, a, a good miniseries is a really special, amazing thing. Stop trying to claim it for your own. Let it be what it is and acknowledge that it's great. Um, but I think for me, like if it is, if it is like a two or however many hour movie um, and it was meant to be a movie and it shows up on HBO first or exclusively um, that's me needing to get past my own, understanding of tv versus film from when i was younger and recognize like those lines are now almost completely blurred yeah especially when it comes to like uh, a singular story that you'll find like in a film so are there any other uh, nooks and crannies of this uh question that we need to uh to uncover do you uncover nooks and crannies no you get into nooks and crannies you get into them you search them out I think, uh, I mean, you know, in a way that's how Tyler sees it. Wait, wait, what did I say? <laughs> no, I just liked your, I think that's what I think, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, I have a master's degree. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the flip side about like trying to, this has less to do with TV movies and more to do with, you know, the impact of, of movies on television and then television on movies I mean, the Avengers, is, it could be seen that the, the MCU could be seen as a TV show in its own way. I don't consider it that it is a series of movies, but the, but if you, but if somebody looks at the miniseries and says, Oh no, this is essentially a movie uh, that yes, it was over the course of half a year or something like that. Or I guess if it's a miniseries, it'd be less than that. Um, or certainly if they say Twin Peaks, which is the, th the third season of an existing TV show um, and say, oh, well, this is a movie. Then like if a TV critic, when by the time Endgame came out and they said, you know what, I'm calling it the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is one of the best TV shows, you know, but because it's yeah. because it's not a single year, that'd be hard to do. But, well, but I mean, even even, like, even Marvel like talks about it in phases that you could say sure. those are seasons. Yeah. Yeah, you could. And so, and, and that's the thing is like, I would never know. I would never call it that. And I can't think of any TV critic that would. And yet movie critics, I think because we think of ourselves as so, so far above uh, TV <laughs> or TV critics, we're, we're constantly trying to claim something. It's almost like, Hey, this thing over here is getting respect. 
how can something that we're not a part of get respect? You know what? Yeah. It's, it's actually ours. <laughs> now, yeah. Now, um, that, uh, uh, that Fiona Al- Apple album that came out earlier this year, one of the best movies of the year. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. good enough to be a movie. So it's a movie now. Right. I made this, I made a steak the other day. Oh my gosh. That's it's other side of the wind level. Good. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> everything's everything now. How about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Speaking so, of cooking food, I, I, uh, uh, going way back to our episode with Angie Han back in May, I think mm-hmm. maybe, uh, maybe beginning of June. Um, uh, I came through on my promise to, to, uh, make my own tortillas. They turned out edible. So sure. it's a start, but, yeah. um, uh, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I made corn tortillas from when I say from scratch, I don't mean that I ground corn kernels to make the flour. Like I, I bought the massa, the massa harina flour and, and made it with that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd get the, get the listeners a little, uh, uh, update, a little check-in on my, uh, tortilla making. Along those lines, I don't know if I ever followed up with uh, my experience with the air fryer that I bought. Um, I know you certainly I certainly have off uh, off mic. Off mic, yes, yeah. but on mic, it is like one of the best purchases I've made in my entire life. I love it so much. It's so convenient, and uh, man, it just uh, it was. Uh, this is so silly to say, but like for me, it, it's a game changer. Like I'm so much more apt to make something at home now because not merely is it easy, but it also just, it changed. It's, it just, it's different than an oven. It cooks things differently. And, uh, Did you say the air fryer is a movie. I don't know if I'd go that far. Oh, okay. It's about as far as the hierarchy, I would say it's, it's about mini series level. Okay. Because I do keep coming back to it over and over again. Um, you know, all right. Well, uh, this got silly. We that's all right. We 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 went in in deep on this topic. But we also managed to talk about air fryers and uh, Nadia, the best character on what we do in the shadows. Um, I don't know. Is is Gamma your favorite, or is Colin Robinson your favorite? Well, obviously, Colin Robinson. You know, <laughs> it's tough though. I mean, I am such I'm such a sucker for Matt Berry's whole thing. Yeah. And he is doing his thing and I love it, but I think I like just the cons. I, I like the performance and I like the way he's written, but the concept of Colin Robinson, right down to the fact that people call him by his whole name, mm-hmm. uh, including Guillermo, by the way, is something that I really adore. And it's something that like so many other things are, are sort of natural progressions from the film, which that's, that's perfectly fine. But Colin Robinson is like a completely new element and such a neat idea. And I like what they've been, what they've done with him. And so I think it's probably him just, just the, from the novelty of it. Okay. Well, uh, that's a, just a taste of what you get on our monthly TV journal <laughs> exactly. uh, over at patreon.com slash battleship pretension. Anyway, that's enough. This episode has gone very, been very silly. Uh, you can find me at battleship pretension.com. both of us, sorry, at battleship pretension.com and find my more, more you though. Uh, that's uh, actually true. You write way more reviews than you anyone posted else to, uh, this world. We're recording this a little bit early, but, um, uh, yeah, you've got reviews of uh, Words on Bathroom Walls and The Sin of Norm Moran. You've got another one that will be up by, by the time. Uh, Monday, I believe, my uh, You Cannot Kill David Arquette review yeah. will be up. 
and this this past week again it's a week ago but uh, as of recording this the most recent uh, reviews i posted were for um for uh were of um uh desert one random acts of random violence, acts of and violence. Tesla. um spree Tesla. you have one for spree uh yeah oh that's um we're deep enough into the journal. I don't think anyone's uh, gonna uh, hear the or do it as into the into the episode. I don't think anyone's gonna hear, uh, or I don't think the director's gonna hear this. But the the director was not uh, spree was not happy with my negative review and commented on my letterbox posting. Oh, uh, well, I think it's I'm... it's mo- I think he was unhappy. This is the thing with with Rotten Tomatoes is um, uh, you know what. Tyler, let's cut this out. I don't want to. Uh, oh, okay. I don't want to address this. Uh, so, uh, Tesla is probably not up at the at the time that you're uh, Tyler that you're looking at it. By the time you're hearing this, my Tesla review is up. That's all battleshipretention.com. You can email me at david at battleshipretention.com. Email Tyler at tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me, Davy, on Twitter. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at Davy Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, what else do you have to plug? Uh, as, as of right now, as of, as of recording, nothing. But by the time this goes up, there might be a more than one lesson about words on bathroom walls. I'm not sure. Head on over to morethanonelesson.com and check it out. And uh, as always, uh, feel free to check out our Patreon as well. There's always a lot of good stuff over there. And it's a great way to support the show and get a lot more content. All right. And uh, until, until next time, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 